When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. It's questions from the audience day. Oh, my goodness. And I'll deep tease this. If you're listening to this, let's see what date do we have here, nurse. Between June 19th and June 23rd, my deep tease is the interview coming up with Cam Jansen and Reed Lowe. And I've got people who are so excited about the interview that they're mad at me and Gangster Pete, I guess me, um, for not releasing it sooner. But here's the deal. And I'll explain it. I'll explain. Let me explain my reason. My answer is no. And here's my reasoning. Don Corleone, Marlon Brando. This is uh, what we've tried to do since we started the thing, which I think is important. I would tell anybody starting a podcast to do this. We want to make sure that the audience can count on content every week. And so, you know, on Sunday night, Monday morning, we're going to have a new interview up which has set a bar that if I could go back in September of 2017 before we started this, I would not have done that because it is tough to continue to do it. Um, and questions from the audience every Wednesday and during college football and the NFL season pick six, where we had the weatherman from Ohio, Iowa, uh, just absolutely killing it for us. And that'll start up here in a couple months. So um, we could, we could absolutely play the cam and read thing, but we, we want to have, consistency with when we release the content and I get it. Listen, you should be excited about it. It's, it's, it's worth it. And I don't think it's going to let you down. I, I'm very careful to not overhype things that I don't think can live up to the hype, but I think you're going to love it. Um, but that that's the schedule that we've run. And, uh, and, and candidly, because we keep trying to make sure that we have something new for every Sunday slash Monday, and we don't have, uh, anything else in the can that is our Sunday slash Monday. And I don't want to just be getting people on just to check off box. Okay. We got one. We want to continue to try to deliver the caliber of guests that, for the most part, for nearly 100 weeks, we've done. So that's the reasoning. I understand. Just know that come Sunday, you're going to be able to listen to it, and I think you're going to love it. In the meantime, you know, we got plenty of other interviews. Go back. Here's here's a little pro tip. Go back and listen to Kerber when he was on or to Chase when he was on, and it'll get you fired up. Now, this is well before the 2018-19 uh, season but the passion that they talk about for the cup and for the game and for the St. Louis blues, that'll get you fired up. And then, you know, you got Cam and Reed coming up on Sunday and I know that Iggy is working on all kinds of blues related guests. So uh, we might be doing that. I know we're trying to get Stillman and Baruby and O'Reilly and Petrangelo and who knows who else. So that's coming your way. Um, so know that there's your deep tease. The home studios is where we are. Mark Hanna of evergreen wealth strategies, a wonderful sponsor of this program. Got this email from a uh, from a listener. I love it because I know that these things go on, but most times, and I understand it, I don't expect people to like not only support the sponsor, but then email me about their great experiences, but it just so happens I got this. Uh, I'm recording this on Wednesday, so I received this on Tuesday. Top of the morning, Tim. I've been a longtime listener of the show, going back to the morning grind days and recently your podcast. I've enjoyed the show more than I care to admit. You've always been good about keeping the content fresh and leaving the audience wanting more. Tribute to Jason Barrett. I fall into the 37-year-old demographic for reference purposes. I don't get emails. I don't email or text in, just a plain old listener. 
Okay, enough with eliminating. I wanted to let you know that I reached out to Mark for Green Wealth Strategies this morning to set up a time for my wife and I to sit down with him and was contacted back by him in less than 20 minutes. Of course, I mentioned that I heard about his company from advertising the show, but wanted to pass that along to you as well. He thanked me for, quote, supporting the sponsors, end quote, and we have an appointment to talk with him later this week. Keep doing what you do because it is working. That's from Brian, and he wrote out his late last name, but unless somebody says, go ahead and read my name, I never want to violate that. So, Brian, I'm not making this up and just coming up with emails to talk about the sponsors. You really got this. I wouldn't do that. Uh, hell, Brian might email follow-up and say, yeah, use my name, and we can totally validate it. But the bottom line is, the sponsors make this thing possible. Supporting the sponsors is the name of the game. Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, online at evergreenstl.com, or you can give him a call at 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. We got a bunch of questions for questions from the audience. All right, as I'm, oh, it's perfect, 1030, I can't forget that. So I'll try not to like go into like some two hour long thing here. Um, and then I don't know, I'm running into this spot where um, I want to make sure that I don't repeat them. So Gangster Pete, you got to pay attention to see if uh, I get this one a lot. I don't really have a strong feeling on it, which is a terrible way to start because you want to start out strong, but I, I'm, I'm just going through them in chronological order. This is an email. Good evening, Tim. As I sit here watching the replay of game seven, I have to wonder the financial impact of this magical run. I would have to think that the city, state, local businesses, and of course the Blues greatly benefited from the long run and success. Would there have been anyone who could quantify the run? Perhaps a podcast guest. Thanks, and let's go Blues. Chuck, I understand the question. I think it's a good question. I really do. I think the idea of a guest for it, I think, would be casting a small net, a narrow net. I don't think it would be that... I don't think it's it's worthy of a whole podcast. I think it'd be worthy of me like emailing with somebody and then saying, I spoke with so-and-so and they said this and then kind of give you the information and then then moving on. Um, but I have gotten a number of those or I think the one that maybe a lot of you are thinking right now because I've gotten even more of these is where are the older women, older men who were complaining about you know, welfare for millionaires or billionaires when, you know, the Enterprise Center... Um, or MLS stadium issues were uh, at the forefront in St. Louis city politics. Um, you know, like, th like this shows them. And I understand that. I don't think it's, I, I get that, but I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that simple um, because the reality is they're elected by their constituents and a lot of their constituents feel that way. And so they're representing their constituents and the city of St. Louis is not flush with cash. And so if you're picking and choosing, making sure that trash is getting picked up versus giving money to a professional sports team, while we or me or you might not like that, I have, a, I have an understanding of it. I will say this, though, I guess I, if you want to call it on the other side, it's really not a side. It's just my honest opinion, and it might be really uninformed. I feel like which isn't good, but I guess that's how politics are being done right now is feelings. But I feel like some of the politicians who push back against the blues or against the MLS, I don't know how much pushback there's been on the Cardinals recently, not because it's the Cardinals, but just because the Cardinals haven't really done anything uh, 20 years ago it would have been against the Cardinals with the ballpark village and the new ballpark thing. I feel like some of it is, we don't like the idea of helping out millionaires, period. And then viewing it through that lens, which I disagree with because I don't think that that's 
that's a way, just, just as I said, I get why there is some pushback because you have a city that is not flush with cash or losing money, depending on however you want to lay it out. And you have constituents who have zero interest in the NHL or major league soccer and going, you're going to go vote yes for that when you know that we can't get trash picked up, which goes on in the city, which might seem foreign if you're living outside of, you know, certain wards. Um, so I, I understand, I, I just, I truly do understand both sides, but anytime it gets personal though, I, I, I have a problem with it. I don't know that it's personal, but I sense at times that it is personal and I don't support that. Um, because I think there's a way and you listen, some people, no matter what, aren't going to listen. And it doesn't matter which side you're coming from because uh, they're going to get really worked up and then they might do a social media thing and it gets likes and retweets and now you're up against that or you're at some kind of town hall and somebody's screaming and then everybody's applauding and you're the bad guy standing or bad bad lady standing on the stage and you can't get your point in. I mean, I see these things play out, whether it be with the right or the left. Uh, this has been going on for a while now. This isn't like a new phenomenon since November 16. And you're in a tough spot. Um, but I just sometimes feel like there's obstructionist elements to policy in city of St. Louis. And I'm not necessarily sure it's because we're acting in the best interest so much as we don't like the idea of Carolyn Kendall Betts, who, you know, was born into this family asking for help or Tom Stillman, who's married into the Danforth family and he's asking for help. I could be wrong on that. No one has said that to me. This is me reading between the lines, and I don't like that. I don't like that. I, but, I, but at the same time, I would like, I don't know if I necessarily like it, I'd understand it, uh, and, and for that matter, support it, even though I wouldn't necessarily like it, but I'd understand it, uh, is, yeah, we have some issues here in the city of St. Louis. I, I understand what the Blues have done, and I think that the MLS could be a great thing for the city. But what you don't understand is, is we have these issues X, Y, and Z, and we're not in a position to responsibly do this without making sure we know that I get that. I don't really feel like that's the way that it's presented. Now it might be being presented that way and I don't see it, but I, I, I oftentimes feel like that's the case and it's just, Oh, I don't like that kind of person. And therefore I am against it. Not because I'm necessarily really against it, but I don't like that kind of person. And my constituents don't like that kind of person. And as opposed to having a conversation with my constituents on, well, I understand we're not getting the trash picked up or take your pick on crime issues, police issues. But here is why spending this money on this will actually help with the crime issues, will help with police, will help with the trash issues. And again, I'm coming, it's not like I'm coming from a place of being in the trenches. This is social media rhetoric here that I'm, that I'm spitting. Uh, and by that, I mean, I'm not plagiarizing social media so much as these are the kinds of things that when it gets down to it are kind of vapid and they get likes and retweets. But, you know, the, the thing that I would, I guess probably the reason why I'm, I'm no fun when it comes to this kinds of thing is because I've been on the receiving end of like the social media solution guy when it comes to like the radio stations, when I've been operating those and it's like, yeah, I understand, but you don't have any idea what you're talking about. And I can't 
not because you can't comprehend it, but I can't explain why, because then I'm embarrassing people or I'm saying things out of school and it's a tough spot. Uh, and that's, that's, that's why I'm, I have a lot of empathy for that. I don't necessarily know that's the case when you're talking about governmental policy for the record, but I just, I'm more apt to see both sides of it. Um, with that all said, what you saw from the region, and I always use the term the region because it's not the city, because it's the city, it's the county, it's St. Charles County, it's Jefferson County, it's Madison County, it's a region, it's by state support. Uh, and that's what we're about here. There's a river running through it, a couple of them for that matter. But uh, we're all in the same gang. Uh, as they said, uh, was that 89, the West Coast, East Coast Rap All-Stars? Which one? You know which one I'm talking about, Gangster Pete? We're all in the same gang. Cool Modi. Good stuff here. Slipping me. Yeah, well, all your searching browsers over there. Maybe you can maybe you can see if you can find it. We're all in the same gang. 88, 89, nurse? I don't know the dates, Tim. But uh, what happened with the Blues... West Coast All-Stars. There it is. Oh, well. Um, 1990. What, thank you. 1990. And the region's response to it was greater than I expected. And that's coming from a place of expecting exuberance that we had never seen before. Truly felt that way. And yet it surpassed it. Um, now, again, it's none, none of this is ever said for any other reason other than I'm thinking it. And I guess there's going to come a time, or there probably are, that, that ship already sailed, or I'm going to say something, somebody's going to say, I'm saying it for a reason. It's just how I really feel, but it doesn't mean that I'm right just because I feel this way. I do not believe something that I know people can write prose about and be praised, and again, like retweets, that because the Blues won the Stanley Cup and the community reacted the way the community reacted and the parade went off flawlessly, relatively speaking for that number of people, however many it was, I guess now the quote unquote official number is 390,000 blues were saying 1.5 million post-dispatch said more than 100,000. We got somebody who like broke it down and then sent it in and then said 390,000, whatever, obviously hundreds of thousands of people. Everybody agree with that, that that does not equate to now St. Louis takes off. It does not equate to that. Um, and I don't want to get caught up in that. However, what I would say is similar to how great Bell Reeve and the PGA championship went off. It opens people's eyes to what we can do. And if that then is the impetus for things to get done that have not been done in a while, then great. But that alone will not be the impetus. I think at the core you have a percent or less of the population, almost all of whom are living within a mile of where I am broadcasting from at Manchester and Woodlawn, uh, maybe two miles, I suppose, who probably have 95 plus percent of the wealth in the community. Yes, I guess your piece. I don't know where the hell that came from, but I love that you just injected it into the program. <laughs> I'd support it if you were a wonderful Addie Andrews scene out this week. But my point is the people that I'm speaking of who are really, when it gets down to it, because the money is the power. Uh, I don't think they're going, yeah, St. Louis needs to turn around. And without them being on board, I'm not sure that the structure can ever really, 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 really change unless some money comes into some of the new 
and young and potentially outside who moved here, people who are moving here for these startups uh, to take it away from the old money or just to add it into the revenue pot of St. Louis uh, and then have a different view. And that's not to say that now we go overthrow everybody in Ledoux and Clayton and Huntley. Uh, you know, that's not what I'm saying, but just go, okay, yeah, you can continue to, you know, have your second and third homes and fly out of spirit. And that's great. God bless. But now here are some people who recognize that this can be a great place. We have now seen it. And here is some, here are some of the steps that need to take place in order for it to happen. And I just, I, I, so, so therefore I would add this onto the timeline of the last five years, because we're coming up on the fifth anniversary of Ferguson, um, which will lead to some retrospective. And since then the Rams have left, you had the botched initial MLS operation, of course, crime statistics and so on. But you have also had some great reports regarding startups in St. Louis, new businesses in St. Louis, innovation in St. Louis, you do see some cranes in St. Louis. I get. I think that's a little overstated at times because I think the people who are talking about that probably haven't been to a lot of other places where there are a hell of a lot more cranes. But nonetheless, there are at least some. Um, and and so therefore, I think again, I keep saying you buy stock in St. Louis. Part of it's because the value has never been lower or was not lower. But also, I know that people recognize, A, that it needs to happen, and B, that it can happen. And this is yet another moment in that. And when you see hundreds of thousands of people come together, uh, it can't help but inspire you. And when you see, and that's the reason why this, and I'm listen, when it gets down to it, uh, I'm a bigger Cardinal fan. I'm a bigger baseball fan than I am a Blues fan or hockey fan. Um, that's what I've said. I feel like I've said it every question from the audience for like the last month. That's why I got into this stuff was were the Cardinals in baseball. It's not to say that I, you know, it was, wasn't like locked into my television and my heart ripped out in 1996 when I was in college when, when Iserman beat Casey, but just, you know, it's the Cardinals. It was always the Cardinals, Cardinals over the Rams, Cardinals over the Blues, Cardinals over Missouri, if you're asking me to rank, but I love them all. Um, or loved is the case with the Rams. So it, with all that said, I don't think... And I don't think it's prisoner of the moment to say that what we saw with the reaction to the Blues was greater than anything we saw with the Cardinals, which is weird to say, but I do believe that's the case. And I think, and I'm offering a theory here because we talked about it with, with Cam and Reed in the podcast that's coming up, and they, they gave their theories. And I think I stopped short, or maybe I didn't. I don't know because we're getting to the point where we're wrapping up because I think Reed was about to lose 40 pounds in the in the podcast studio and the ventilation issue. But uh, I think a lot of St. Louisans see themselves in the blues and, and not just the players who are down to earth. Now that's not unique to the St. Louis blues. They might be more relatable in St. Louis because there's a culture that comes down from the alumni uh, that makes that the expectation. But I'm talking about, the organization, the timing of the organization coming into the league when it did, it's kind of right at the beginning of a decline for St. Louis ballpark range. Um, literally, I've talked about seeing that post-dispatch archive of they're begging for people to buy tickets to the Stanley Cup final against Montreal in 68. And it's the same day that the Hawks are announcing they're moving to Atlanta. Um, you know, and so I think there's that element, the undercurrent, 
for people, but also with this year specifically, here's a team, here's a city that was completely counted out and they made a couple of changes, both kind of not necessarily expected to be silver bullet changes. I don't think people thought, okay, they got Baruby. Let's see how he does for the next few years. It's like they got Baruby, but Quenville's now available. Let's see if we can get Quenville. Jordan Bennington, I mean, how many people that watched the Stanley Cup final were watching the Jordan Bennington's debut against the Flyers, like percentage-wise? 2%? I mean, it was that bad at that time. And then they came together, and then it just became an unstoppable force. Of, of not guys who all of a sudden got really arrogant and you go, oh, God, I'm cheering for him, but I know this guy's kind of a dick. You could buy in. And then they lived up to it at the parade. I wasn't surprised by that. And I, I, I think if you're around hockey players, you probably weren't. Like when people are making a big deal, I'm like, yeah, I, mean, I, I would have been surprised if they wouldn't have done that, actually. That's exactly what I expected. Them getting shit-faced, them using the word fuck every other word, not giving a damn Jordan Bennington driving around on a scooter because it's batshit. You know, a guy, throw Sanford throwing up in the car. Maroon standing on a Rams towel with the cup on it. I mean, just Chase walking out and seeing the crowd and going, holy fuck. Brett Hull being drunk for like a month straight. That's what, that's what, that. but that's the thing. A lot of people go, yeah, that's what I do. I don't snort blow and spend 10 grand on strippers in Miami. So I don't, I don't know what that's about. You know, but I can relate to drinking Bud Light nonstop and throwing up and then laughing at my buddy who's singing Gloria like he's shit faced at three in the morning at double D's. I get that. And so I just think this, I think in the present, it's as good of a sports win as I've experienced as far as a championship goes. And this is again coming from somebody who's a bigger Cardinal fan than Blues fan, although that gap is closing for certain. Uh, and that's not because I'm so angry at John Mazalak. It's because I just fell even more in love with this hockey team over the last couple of months. Uh, and I can't wait to watch the regular season, even though it won't change my opinion. Be like, oh, my God, they lost to the Panthers in October. It doesn't mean a damn thing. Just get into the, the tournament. Um, but uh, I will be looking forward to watching games. I would imagine we'll talk a hell of a lot more about the Blues on the show going forward in the regular season than we have in the past because we'll all be more engaged in it. And the community will be more engaged in it. It is, and then so, and as far as the future goes, I think it can have an impact on St. Louis, but indirectly. Um, and then, as far as the game of hockey in St. Louis, it was already so strong, and now St. Louis, I think, is positioned to just be a hockey hotbed. And uh, and this group of guys who right now are kind of like, you know, oh, look at him out in Las Vegas getting shit-faced and look at the women that are chasing him around at the MGM and all of this stuff, and it's great. But in 15, 20 years, when they come back and walk on the ice, they will be gods. They will always be gods in St. Louis. They will always be gods in St. Louis. I promise you that. Every single one of them. Oh, look, it's Oscar Sunquist. Couldn't be more excited about it. Couldn't be more excited about it. Who's Oscar Sundquist, Dad? Well, in the 2019 team, which will be talked about, you know, like some people talk about, take your pick of whatever team, 82 Cardinals, 85 Cardinals, 04 Cardinals. You know, he was the guy that did this and that. And then, then and what about Braden Shen? Well, you know, he's the guy that did this and that. But then, oh, my God, the goal that put him up 3 nothing that locked the thing, he's the one who scored it. It's 
It's just, it's all, and Ryan O'Reilly might as well buy his, the house that he's going to live in the rest of his life because he will be here the rest of his life. Even if he winds up at some point going somewhere else toward the tail end of his career, he will be a St. Louis Blue. That's it. And that was not the case, by the way, before the Blues won the Stanley Cup. That's not to say that he wouldn't have. Hell, there's a bunch of guys who didn't win the Stanley Cup who live here and coach here and are huge parts of the alumni here. Ryan O'Reilly is now synonymous with the St. Louis Blues. Alex Petrangelo, a whipping boy for many fans, will now be, he'll still get whipped here and there uh, on social media, but he will always be the guy who wore the C on his sweater the night the Blues won the Cup, and he will be the image forever of what is a phenomenal picture of him lifting the cup the first time a member of the Blues lifts the cup. That's Alex Petrangelo. Can never change. Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast, so make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. You know, I, I asked this question, so I'm kind of doing my own questions from the audience here. Um, now that the Blues have won the Cup, what's the next great championship you want to see in sports. I think for me and Gangster Pete, Gangster Pete, you can chime in, of course. I agree. Mizzou. Yeah. Um, but you know what? The thing is about that is that if that were to happen, it's it's just different in the sense that this was two months straight, almost either every other night or every other two nights, once you got to the cup finals, of living and dying as a community with the results of 60 minutes on a slab of ice. And should Missouri football, uh, I think more so than basketball, but it still have a huge impact over basketball, it'd be one game. Now, it'd be an SEC championship. Inevitably, there'd have to be some huge games and wins along the way, then an SEC championship, and then... I guess, assuming it's still the final four teams, then you, it's got two. But it's not, it's not, it's just, I don't know if anything can duplicate this. Now, I remember writing a column at the start of the 2012 season, which I live, it was, if, if, it, if it were put on social media, it would be ratioed like fucking crazy. Uh, and I guess I could have been, it was 2012. Um, and then I, then I wound up eating my words, but not because it was criticized, but because of what happened six months later that because of October 2011, my interest in April of 2012 was lessened. And the reason was, it's like I had the greatest cocaine ever, and I'm never, ever going to be able to get that high back. Like, nothing will ever be better than Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. And that probably is still the case. Um, but then you had game five of the 2012 NLDS, which like falls like on like number 10 or something of St. Louis sports memories since 2000, you know, January 1st, 2000, which is nuts considering what that comeback was against the nationals to advance to the NLCS. And there it was again, you know, and then they win three games in the NLCS and the next year they beat the Dodgers, you know, after, you know, um, not necessarily, you know, looking like that was going to happen when you have to deal with uh, Kershaw. 
And then they're back there again in 2014 as Adams hits a home run off Kershaw. I mean, all these things, and you just keep getting them. So you, you look back on it and you go, there's no way that I can ever be as into something, and I can't imagine anything superseding the first time the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. I, I mean, it just I just can't imagine. It won't be the same as it was this first time, but the interest level in the game will be infinitely higher starting well, it's already started, but once the season, the regular season starts in October, and it's the absolute greatest. All right, uh, next question, because we started at 1030, and I just went 23 minutes on a question. That's my problem. That is my problem. Uh, let's see. Now, this is interesting. I don't remember reading this one. Um, long, uh, Tim, I have never called in or emailed your show, but I'm a longtime fan what you have built is truly amazing. I have a friend on Kauai, Hawaii, who listens to you guys. Your coverage of the Blues interviews was great. Iggy and Plowsy were there for you. That's the true definition of ride or die. Include Gangster Pete in there, please. As much shit as anyone gives them, we all do truly love them. I do have a few questions, if you don't mind answering them for questions from the audience if you have time. If you had a chance and could call any sports historical moment on radio or TV, what would it be? Uh, my answer to that, Game 6, 2011 World Series, bottom of the ninth. I still, th I, I don't know how something like that can be topped. Um, like I saw a poll on the fan page. I don't know if you saw it, Pete. And I get it. Joe Roderick actually called it for what it was. Better game, game seven of the 2019 Stanley Cup final or game six of the 2011 World Series. More significant, I can, I can play along with better game, game six of the 2011 World Series. And like in five years, it would win like, with the 98% vote, but just like days after the Blues winning, and it was Game 7 that led to that, people are going to say Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. But if you have some historical perspective, I, I don't know if anything can be better in Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. I agree. Those polls make me chuckle. Yeah, they're prisoner of the moment. Right. But I also understand, and there's no need for me to jump in and go, why are you asking this? Right. I get what they're doing and, you know, whatever it's like. But bigger Cinderella story, Jordan Bennington or... Kurt Warner, it's like, well, I know we hate the Rams, but, I mean, Kurt Warner was working in a grocery store in arena football, and then he won the Super Bowl MVP, you know. And then people reason, well, Bennington had to do it for two months. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, whatever. It, Ten years from now, the answer will easily be Kurt Warner, unless Jordan Bennington turns into Patrick Waugh. Uh, let's see. Um, your dream interviewer bullshit session podcast. How do I not remember this email? I usually remember all of them, even if they're ones that I'm not planning on reading on the show. Um, my dream interviewer bullshit session podcast. If I could get, I'll tell you actually, cause I was about to say, if I get a president to like strip down the bullshit and actually talk honestly, um, I would, I would love that. I also recognize at this particular moment, that's not happening. Hell, even if I did suddenly get in a position to get presidents on the show, that's not happening because that's not, they're never going to strip that down. And I understand that. Um, I'll tell you one I'd like. I'll go a white whale. Eric Greitens. How about that? Not going to happen. He's probably already planning his next TV gig or comeback in politics or whatever. And he ain't coming on here. Uh, but that would be a good. Quinn Snyder is in that class. Chris Long is in that class. Oh, I'm sure there are others. God, anybody? Who do you think, gangster? Anybody we're missing here? I'd love Jordan Bennington. Bennington would be great. I don't know if he would like be in character or right. if he would. You I know, I was just thinking that as soon as I said it. 
um, they were talking about that on the podcast yesterday. Yeah, we did talk about it, like he's in character. If you had a chance for a question, what would you ask Stan Kroenke? No holds barred. I'd have a lot of questions because it would be more like an attorney line of questioning. Uh, but it essentially would be when you when you exercised your uh, right of first refusal, did you know you were moving the Rams to Los Angeles? And then we would move on from there, um, which I know might not titillate people because I think people would probably want a Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise situation. But uh, as far as getting actual answers, that's where we would start. And then there would be a number of follow-ups from there with, with a particular variety of data points. Uh, this is for me, maybe for you too. Can you do a Lisa Ann podcast? All the bullshit she may have had to go through in porn. The other half fantasy football since the time is coming up. Just a suggestion. Thank you, sir. I do remember this now, but I only remember the Lisa Ann part. Thank you, sir, for your program. You, Doug, Cat, Plowsy, Iggy, and Gangster Pete make my day every day. I look forward to hearing you guys every morning. Yeah, I would I would love to. I don't it, I, if the pod, see, about uh, seven months ago, I, um, I signed an agreement with KFNS, uh, Inside STL, uh, which is the company I, I managed and started in 2005, owns the content of TMA, owns the content of this podcast, but KFNS essentially has a licensing agreement to sell it. And if it, if this truly were my own little fiefdom, um, I would have adult film stars on the podcast unapologetically because I just, for, for the life of me, the stigma attached to sex workers is, is, is like a dogma phenomenon. And it's just like people accept it. Then you take a step back and you go, yeah, why? I don't, I don't know. Like what's, why is that? So, you know, can have somebody who like beats the shit out of their wife and like do a forgiveness to her, but you can't possibly have, you know, somebody who, who has sex on film on, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated by it. I think I've said that maybe about once every month on questions from the audience, but knowing that, knowing that some people, even though I know our sponsors and I don't think any of them would go, Oh my God, Tim, I can't sponsor the podcast. If you, but I will say this, we did have a sponsor come along brief run who said, Hey, we want to be involved, but you really got to, we can't have you have porn stars on, even though I'd never had a porn star and still haven't had a porn star on the podcast. Um, and I'm like, I find it's fine. I get it. I understand it. It wasn't something I was planning on doing anyway. Um, but you know, and the reason for me not planning on doing it anyway was not to appeal to the people who hate me as it is because I do talk about it, uh, or I'm agnostic or whatever, uh, or just abrasive, I suppose is, or not the people I'm trying to appeal to, but like when you're trying to book the DeWitts or the, Danforth or whatever. And on the off chance, somebody goes, Oh, you can't go on that show. He has porn stars on. I think we, I think the, sh I think we've gotten past that. I mean, first off, all those people have been on at this point, but, um, I think, well, I think, I think when it really gets down to it, most people don't know or care. That's what I really actually think. But then I think, I think I'm this, uh, paradox to people in like the acceptable circles of St. Louis. It's like, yeah, I think he's kind of a creep, but I guess he's kind of d doing something okay. So I think it's safe to go on the show because even though he's a creep on the radio, I think he's kind of a decent guy who just thinks creepy shit and says it. I think that's where I am. I think that's where I am. I think it's where I am because I'm surprised by the caliber of guests we get on here considering how fucking weird I am relative to what is considered acceptable conversation in St. Louis. Um, so that's great because 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been happening. 
I don't know what happened. I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that I, that I spawned. I don't know. I have no idea what happened, but, um, it's, and, it's, and so some of you are probably going, really, there are people who wouldn't come on. And some of you are going, yeah, I'm surprised Bill DeWitt and Tom Stillman, Jack Danforth and Jim Talent, you know, came on, came on the show. But it, but it's not like I'm like, oh, good, I've got Jack Danforth in here. Let me ask him his favorite adult film stars. I recognize the arena and I respect the parameters, you know, and I know where I can go with certain guests and where I'm not going to go with certain guests. It's interesting. I'm, yeah, I am. It, I guess it's reading Stern's book uh, and how he talks about like what he would do. And now, and then he um, conveyed his reasoning for doing it. And I didn't realize this. But my interest in him came from the E! Entertainment television show. Um, and when he would have guests on, I didn't used to really get into the guests. Now we're talking about the 1990s. But that's because the interviews would be, like, maniacal. Uh, and he explains, like, he listens to those things back now, and he's embarrassed by them. And his reason was he felt like he had to keep the audience entertained because he was monitoring every quarter hour for ratings purposes and he would watch the quarter hours and when it was coming up and if his audience, if he was listening to his guests drone on about something he was bored by, he would say something batshit just to keep the audience tuned in because he was fighting this ratings thing, which is fortunately something we've never had to do. That's huge, man, because for what this, this show is that would be a tough adjustment. And maybe someday we will have to adjust. I don't know. You know, I mean, um, but that's a real thing and I get it. Uh, and that's why now he can have these longer conversations that I just love. They're essentially like podcasts and that's all I listen to. God, I was, I was playing uh, golf with, uh, one of my friends and he goes, do you listen to Stern Gangster Pete? Uh, I listen to some of the interviews sometimes. That, yeah. God, was it Benji like used his hands on Richard and Sal or something like that. And I'm going, wow, man, I got to tell you, like, I didn't think there was anything that I would be like, oh, I can't, I just, I'm just, I, I, you know, listen, if that's what, if that's what they're doing, God bless them. I don't have to listen to it, but holy shit. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, especially for where he is at this point, that that's like the play, like, oh, I don't want to do this or that anymore, but now I've got one of my producers pleasuring, you know, but whatever. Either way, the point is I listen to the interviews and I love to let the interviews breathe regarding having Lee. I know it would be a great interview. And I think actually, I don't think anybody would have a problem with it. Uh, I thought about it actually while she was in town for the dotum a couple weeks ago. But the thing is with that is she is so kind in giving of her time and she doesn't get a dollar for it. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. And I love it because I just, I don't, I also don't think our audience is necessarily the people I'm talking to though. When I say this stuff, cause I don't think our audience is like, Oh, porn, that's wrong. I can't believe that, you know, or they might be like, yeah, I don't like porn, but I don't like hate the porn star. You know, I get that, I, that, that one, you know, I just, I think I personally think it's wrong. I think it's disrespectful if I'm married or whatever the case might be, or just view it as immoral, whatever, which is cool, but then not like having this judgment on the porn. I don't think that's the vast, 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 vast majority of our audience. Uh, this would be more like if I were like on Camwex or something like that, you know, then, then it'd be an issue. So I think me having Lisa Ann on the podcast wouldn't be a big deal, but she's so giving her time. The last thing I wanted to do, even though she probably would have done it and we would have gone like, it would have been like a young page views thing. We would have gone like three hours. Um, 
going into all kinds of stuff because I know she's gone through some some shit. And I'm not talking about like, you know, dealing with family. I'm talking about like dealing in the industry. And she's so transparent with that that it would have been, so it would be a good interview. I don't want to do it over the phone. So maybe we will set it up, assuming she's coming back next year. We'll make sure we'll do it. It's a good, it's a, it's a legitimate question. I hope that uh, attempted to explain it. All right, I'm just in the emails right now, even though I know I got a bunch of, uh, this was a good one. It's probably going to be a quick answer, which will be really rare. Uh, hey, Timmy, been listening since late 2009. Never called, texted, emailed, or been to an event. Nothing personal, just not my thing. But I do support the sponsors and listen every single day. Since Plowsy's been part of the show, I've always wondered about one thing, and I thought I missed my window when he was off the show, so I figured take, I'd take my shot now. I'm curious about the open talk about marijuana usage. Let me say first that I use it as well, although not all day like the plow stoner, so I'm definitely for it. At 37 years old, I consider that a lot of people use it and for different reasons. I don't think it's taboo, but it's technically illegal. So I'm curious if it has ever come up with advertisers or station management. I'm assuming they don't care since it's talked about openly, but has any sponsor ever said anything or has any sponsor turned down advertising because of it? I'm not sure if anyone else is curious about this. So if you don't think the question has mass appeal and you don't want to email me back, that's fine. If you do put this on the podcast, I'd appreciate keeping my name private. Uh, P.S. Thank you for always doing a great job on the show, but specifically the days leading up to and after the Stanley Cup win, I was in Nashville on a pre-planned trip and listening to the TMA podcast really made me feel connected. Ring the bell. Uh, that comes from Ed uh, with his full name, but he didn't want it out there. Uh, the answer to your question regarding the plowhawk and smoking weed is no, it has never come up with sponsors. Now, I don't deal directly um, with the sponsors, but uh, the plowhawk was the board operator going back to 2014 when I was operating 920 and therefore dealing directly with sponsors, and it was not an issue. I don't know. I think the, the marijuana taboo is so different in 2019, even from where it was in 2009 but especially 1999 um, and then beyond going back beyond that. I just don't think people really, it's like, Oh, they're 18 and they're drinking. Yes. It's against the law, but I don't fucking care. Oh, you sped. I don't fucking care. You know, just don't hurt anybody else. Uh, don't drink and drive, you know, if you're 18. So yes, it's against the law, though. I can't imagine that being the case, you know, much longer. It's never come up. It's a fair question. I don't think the question's out of line, uh, especially the, with the way you presented it, but it's never come up. Now, maybe it has, and I'm not aware of it, but it has never come up with anything I have uh, dealt with. All right, final uh, email thing uh, that I set aside here. In your opinion, what would the ideal St. Louis mayor look like, background, area grown up, education, race, et cetera, and what message ideas do you think would resonate not only in the city but area as a whole? Greg and Webster Groves. Interesting question. Um, I I think saying anything about anybody's background, the area they grew up in, their level of education or race, although I understand why one asks that, is is just not. I don't want to chastise the question because I understand it. I think it's an honest question coming from a good place. I just don't think there's an honest answer that would come from a good place. Um, not to say it would be nefarious. It's just, I don't, the answer is I don't know. Um, you know, like, does the person have to be black? Does the person have to be white? The answer is no to both. Uh, does the person have to have gone to, 
you know, a really, really great university, um, you know, and I'm talking about take your pick of like an Ivy League or, you know, some really high, you know, Stanford or Duke or something like that. I don't think the answer, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't really, that stuff, I just don't think matters. Um, I don't think leadership is something that is taught in a classroom. Um, I don't think leadership is something that you can ask for. I think you conduct yourself how you conduct yourself and then people either choose to buy in or they choose to say this person's full of shit and I'm not impressed. And that's pretty much it. Rarely are you going to be able to get that back. It's going to take dramatic circumstances uh, for that to happen. Using an example, uh, President Bush, George W. Bush did not have a real high approval rating uh, on September 10th, 2001. And a week later, he had a very high approval rating as the country came together through tragedy. And the Bush v. Gore thing of late in 2000 and early in 2001 went by the wayside because the country is united by tragedy. Um, so, you know, taking that now down to the local level, um, I really don't know. I don't know if I feel like I have seen someone get actually elected, okay, so these are all these qualifiers, for a statewide office or a Missouri representative senator office in the last 20 years who I can go, that person right there, that person is the person, that person I will follow, I buy into. At the same time, I don't know how many I would say nationally I feel that way about, and I would imagine a number of you share that opinion. Locally, though, you take out the Fox News, MSNBC, whichever place you go and get your news from, which unfortunately, but understandably, leads to the way people see the world. Um, you know, that's not that's not necessarily in the equation. And, you know, I think if anything, people have distrust of, see Steve Stanger, or lack of respect for uh, C. Lida Cruson. Uh, or see as the status quo, Lida Cruson. And that's why for me, and I and I, I feel like we talk about, or I talk about Mark Manavani, and I make him out to be probably something more than he'd even be comfortable with, but he was he was a good one. And that was a big loss. That was a big loss. And that's, that's and I think anybody who listens to this knows that I'm not saying that after the fact with, what's happened with Steve Stanger over the last couple of months. I thought that the morning of, I thought that this, I've said it before and it might seem, it might make people, you know, spontaneously combust when I say um, the morning after Donald Trump was elected as horrified as a number of people were. Uh, and I'm sure as happy as a number of people were certainly in this audience, I'd imagine way more people were happy about it than, than Hillary Clinton. I know that I know the audience. Um, I was more really concerned about the Eric Greitens election, um, which might be, it might be wrong for the record, but I felt like with Trump, you kind of knew what you had, you know, and you, you might, you might love it or you might be cringing and focused on November, 2020 in November, 2016 with Eric Greitens. I'm like, Oh my God, this guy is dangerous because I see all the tells of a problem, but it's like cloaked if you don't know any better. And I don't, I don't feel like I'm like vindicated by what wound up happening. It sucks that it happened. Um, and that, 
And so the same thing with Montavani, but that wasn't necessarily because of a, a strong dislike of Steve Stanger at all, so much as it was like, wow, this is the exact kind of candidate I feel like we need, somebody who doesn't need it, somebody who has zero aspiration for any office beyond the one that he is running for, and someone who doesn't care if it's not popular, he's going to do what he believes is right for the greater good. That's what I'm looking for. Republican, Democrat, couldn't care any less. I think the city of St. Louis and winning there and then actually leading effectively is a is a really tough challenge. Um, not to say that county executive would be easy. It's just it's a tough challenge because I do think it's it's so divided and it's not just divided by the the famous or infamous Del Mar divide racially, but uh, pockets of different politics. Um, and I don't, so, so to answer the question, cause I was about to say, and some people who I think may think they don't like each other, but when reality comes down to it, I think they actually do. They just don't get a chance to hear from each other. And so anytime this question gets asked and when Dan Forth, or I guess it was David Hun said that Dan Forth was feeling me out for running for office, which I still don't believe was the case, but I'm flattered that David Hunt actually thought that. Um, what I think of, because I've thought this growing up in the city, going back to the 1980s, it always stood out to me, even before I was 10 years old, which I know sounds weird, how, because um, weird is not the right word, odd is not the right word, how how unspoken yet prominent race factors into the city of St. Louis um, and how I think it's one of our biggest issues and how even me just saying that right now pissed some of you off. And I just, I, I think it's such a core issue. Now, what do you do about it? Like you can say that stuff and you can get people cheering for you and you can tweet that shit out. And, but what do you do about it? Cause that's how, when it's all said and done, that's how you're judged. Um, the results. And I, and I, the honest answer at this moment is I don't have an answer, but I know this, if I actually were to run as somebody who grew up in South city on Tam Avenue, his family still lives on Tam Avenue and who loves the neighborhood in which I grew up. I know that my experience in six, three, one Oh nine is not nearly the same. And not just to somebody of African-American uh, descent in, in, on the North side, but even somebody of Bosnian descent, you know, two miles to the East or Southeast. And so it would be my responsibility to not just campaign to the people who I know and better chance than not like me because I'm from the neighborhood, but to have a better understanding of what the issues are facing the people that are having a totally different life experience and then build policy from there. But I, that, that to me, and also have an understanding and whether one likes it or does not like it, that the various constituents of these different wards have different interests and you might not necessarily like it or agree to it, but you can't just like shut them out. So, you know, as far as going, yes, I think it needs to be a 35-year-old African-American who went to Stanford and came back to St. Louis you know, and I know that's not what you're saying. I, I, the, the, I don't, I just don't think, I just don't think it matters. Um, I, I just, I just, I just, I mean, I'm, I didn't graduate from college. I have eight hours left. I mean, does that, at this point, are we really worried about that? 
I don't know. Maybe some people are. Um, you know, it's it's character, but it's also empathy and then action. From your character, you have empathy and an understanding that your life experience, and I was lucky, um, is not the same as everybody else's. But then not penalizing or looking down on somebody or this in vogue thing now to say, well, you know, old white guys. Just like now we can shit on that group of people. I just don't get that for the life. Like, how the hell that all of a sudden be? Just like it's if somebody were to shit on young black people. What the hell? I mean, I'd be like, what the fuck are you saying? But now we can go old white guys and just like shit on them. Just like, wow, how'd that be? become okay? They're both wrong. They're both divisive. So I don't know. Mark Monavani, I guess, by definition, is an older white guy. And I think he would have been an incredible St. Louis County executive. But I'll tell you, in my limited experience, here's one that won't play well, I guess, with some people in the audience. In my limited experience with Wesley Bell, I had, I had no, I didn't even know when I was interviewing Bob McCullough almost a year ago, might've been like exactly a year ago, actually, that he was even running against anybody for county executive or not county executive for prosecuting. And then he loses to Wesley Bell. And I'm like, man, who is Wesley Bell? And then I meet Wes and I interview Wes and I've gotten to know him a little bit. And I'm like, Wes is a sharp guy. Now people might, things get portrayed certain ways and people might not like him for whatever reason. But he's a sharp guy. And Wes is, I think he's a couple of years older than me. He's African-American. He's from the north side. I think he went to Hazelwood East. Well, you know, it just that, that doesn't matter. I'm not getting angry with you, Greg, and Webster Groves with a question. It all, I'm getting worked up here because it just doesn't matter. Because I do feel like, by the way, that the Democratic Party feels like it has to make sure that it has a certain kind of background for its presidential candidate, which is so fucked up. Well, we ran out of woman there last time. That didn't work out. Well, what the fuck? You ran out of a white guy in 2004 and it didn't work out. You ran out of a white guy in 2000 and it didn't work out. I mean, you run out the best candidate. And if people are not going to vote for somebody because of their race, then they're just as intolerant as the people they're claiming intolerance for on the other side. It cuts both ways, man. Now I'm all fired up, and I haven't even gone to the fan page yet, Pete. I haven't even gone to the fan page. Uh, let's see what we got here, because there were some good ones on the fan page. Put the Mike Lee Lisa in picture so I could find it. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. You can, plenty of people can know but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. Uh, O.J. Simpson is on Twitter. Who would you love to go see go completely unhinged on Twitter? It's a great question. The honest answer is I get uncomfortable when I see that anytime. So I wouldn't love to see anybody. I, I guess Lana, because Iggy would be worked up about it, Lana Rhodes, um, which probably is happening, actually. I don't think I follow her anymore. I don't even know if she's tweeting. Um, yeah, I just, I, I'm always so uncomfortable when I see that because I'm just like, oh, shit. They're going to want that one back. 
You know, it's, it's not, it's rarely do you get in a Twitter thing and go, I'm glad I did that. Oh, you know, so I, I don't, I, my honest answer is Lana Rhodes, terrible answer, honest answer. Uh, when you cop in young Jameson, his first pair of J's bra, that's from Manchild 79. It's a wonderful question. I don't know. Jameson has this, uh, thick blonde hair. Uh, for my money, it needs a haircut, but now it's, it's kind of like, well, and, and if he's like me in 17 years, he's going to start losing it. So maybe we'll start harvesting it now for a big hair transplant procedure then. Um, so as far as his fashion goes, uh, I'm happy to get him J's. I really am. Uh, at this point he's wearing Velcro sandals though, to be real candid with you. So I don't know if we're at the point yet. Uh, with the death of better together in the blues cup run, how much time does that buy the city and County to get their crap together? In other words, how long until everyone is bitching about the same problems again, does the sad economic state of Illinois have any bearing at all in the prosperity of the city moving forward? I actually think the answer is no, but I think it should because I come from a regional standpoint. That's why you hear me. And I said it earlier, I view things from a regional perspective, even though I realize you're talking about a variety of different governments. And then when you include Madison County and they're now you're talking about another state. But when Vince Shame was in here, he talked about the the region. He didn't talk about, you know, St. Louis City and County. He talked about the region. I mean, you have this huge, I just always feel like it's such an odd thing. Quiet, that is my go-to word, isn't it? Odd. Odd and fascinating. I got to get better. I got to go like Doc Emmerich and get a thesaurus and just come up with a variety of words. But um, that there is this huge resource that is on the other side of the Mississippi River with a monster population. And it's just kind of like flies under the radar. Well, it doesn't count. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's Illinois and a lot of Illini fans, but you know, it's Illinois. I mean, it counts. Uh, and it's a resource. Um, so a- along those lines, it's similar to what I talked about a little earlier with the blues cup run. I think it can give people a realization and a sense of pride that then can lead to, uh, improvement. Uh, I don't think it alone leads to improvement. What's your opinion of the student loan crisis? Do you have any ideas on how to make higher education affordable? Again, I feel like I'm doing a town hall and I am running for office. This is great. I feel like it's going to be one of the biggest issues going into the 2020 presidential election. Uh, This is a classic political redirect. My honest answer is I don't know. That's my real answer. I will say this. I, I... it's, it's like private schools in St. Louis right now, private high schools. And I guess, hell, it goes to middle school, grade school, whatever people call it. I guess Catholics call it grade schools. My understanding, my wife is not Catholic and she called it elementary school and middle school, I think. And then it's high school or the junior high. I don't know, whatever, before ninth grade. Uh, and then the private, I, I'm just like, this, this has to be a bubble. At some point people have to go, I can't afford it anymore. And yes, my snobby neighbor might look down on the fact that I'm not sending my son or daughter to private school, even though the private school is like half the quality of the education that our public school district would be. But I don't care. I can't, this is nuts. I mean, these things are like 17 K a year now. And I'm not, of course, not even talking about the boroughs and MICDSs of the world. I just, I mean, for the life of me, I don't get it. And I had a great experience at St. Louis U high. And, and I look at my classmates from St. Louis U high and they're like across the board, quite successful. And I do think, I think part of it is St. Louis U high, but also, I mean, the admissions policy, you're getting people who, you know, tested really well. And so they're already in a good spot to be successful. So it's not necessarily, it's a chicken and egg discussion, but I do think there were a lot of elements of St. Louis U high that were wonderful. And so, but that was, but I mean, I graduated from there 25 years ago. I mean, I have no idea what it's like. My brother teaches there, loves it. I still have a great fondness for it. And if in 
12 years, my son's in a position to and wants to go there and it's still doing what it's doing. I certainly would look at it. My guess is it'll be like $25,000 a year, at least by the way, <laughs> assuming there's no bubble. Um, but uh, you know, my answer on this stuff is, so I'm just talking about high schools. They're much less colleges. I mean, these things are like 50 K a year. Again, I know it depends on which one, uh, you know, Missouri, I don't think Missouri's 50,000 a year. I don't, I have no idea. I don't think it is. People are going to start yelling at me that I don't know that. I mean, I, I haven't been there in 20 years and I don't have anybody remotely close to going. I set aside money in a 529. That's what I'm doing right now regarding college. And that's all I'm doing uh, for my son. But uh, my, my response, I, th- I, you know, the guy's name's Mike Rowe. Some of you may like, oh, yes, good for you for saying it. And some of you go, I have no idea who you're talking about. Uh, people probably know him from, I think it was the Ford commercials. And he talks about how wrongly a lot of American parents feel like their check mark as being quality parents is their kids going to college. And then therefore a lot of trades are being ignored where people can make really good livings, be quite happy and don't need to go to college and come out with debt. And here I am kind of playing a character when it comes to the private school thing and all that shit. I don't believe that shit for a second. Um, I, I have a great fondness for St. Louis U high, but shit, you can go anywhere and, you know, uh, but when it comes to college, I mean, I went to Missouri, you know, it's not like it, I went to an Ivy league school or something like that. And I guess it's great journalism. It is a great journalism. School, I won't say, I guess, but it is journalism school. Uh, and it's not like I'm getting into a high upside business when you're there, you're kind of like, Oh, I want to play. So I'll go to journalism school. That's what I was thinking. I'm not saying everybody's saying that, please don't email me. Um, but that a lot of people are leaving out or ignoring the opportunity to go, yeah, you know, I didn't, you know, starting inside STL was not a byproduct of a great education at St. Louis U high or the university of Missouri. It was a byproduct of having a non-compete contract or non-compete clause in my contract from KMOV and being bored. Now, somebody like Pete with his MBA certainly would be better fit to start a business and build the business than someone like me who was way behind on that and still probably is. But you you can you can learn about it and, you know, uh, grow a business without having a college degree. And I, and I feel like it's kind of an obvious statement. So my point on that question, which doesn't necessarily answer that question specifically, is I think part of it can be averted by not going actually, <laughs> you know, and I realize. listen, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be an attorney, you don't have that luxury, but I just, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm like almost as far away from it as you can be with a one-year-old. The only way you're any further away from it is if you're like 50 and you don't have kids and you know, you're not going to have kids and it's just not, it's going to be like, oh yeah, 30 years ago I went to college, you know? Oh yeah. People have $200,000 in debt when they leave. That sucks. But I just, I don't know. I, I just always kind of felt like I'm telling you, I, I just, I, I thought Missouri was easy again. It's 20 years ago. I, maybe it was because SLU was tough. St. Louis U high at St. Louis university. It's not to say St. Louis university is not tough. You gotta be so careful with everything. But you know, I was there to fuck around on TV and radio and, you know, so I was doing, I had a different experience. So it might not be fair to say, I mean, like Alexis Strauss, Joe's daughter, you know, she's graduating with like double majors in econ and math. I assure you her life experience in Columbia is a hell of a lot different than me 
fumble fucking around on KOMU on the weekends. Um, so with that all said, you know, the, the, my answer is not don't go to college. That's not my answer. But I do feel like a number of people are like, oh, I have to go to college in order to make a living. And yes, if you want to be a doctor or an attorney, you know, or you want to be in finance, yeah, you can't just like go, okay, that's it. I went to St. Louis U High. I'm moving to New York and going to live on Wall Street now. That's not the way that it works. I understand that. Um, I guess my answer is more toward those who just kind of go and then wind up with like a communications degree and, you know, and go, well, all right, I got a degree and I have no idea what I want to do. That's, that's where I'm going. But in fairness, I also know a lot of people, hell, in their late 20s still don't know what they want to do. So why would somebody at 18 all of a sudden know what they're going to do? So I don't have, my answer is I don't, I don't know. But, I, but regarding that, I do feel like a lot of people, like they just have to go to college, kind of like I feel like in St. Louis, a lot of people, especially if they're Catholic, feel like they just have to go to a private school when they live in a school district where if they went to the public school, they would get just as good as uh, an education for free. And they're already paying for it. Well, the parents are already paying for it via the taxes. And I, that just, that makes me cringe. And I don't think it's really for a while. I think it's important that my son or daughter experience theology class. I think it's more for, well, I have to be able to say that they went to a private school. And that's cringy to me. What else? I'm on a banny rooster kick here. Uh, you have the chance to ask your business slash entrepreneurial idol one question. Who is it? What is the question? Why did you choose that question? Wait, I got to tell you, to me, recaps really get some good questions in here. And then when I'm not prepared for them, then they lead to me having the delay tactic. I don't know. Uh, Gangster Pete, here's my delay tactic. Who is your entrepreneurial idol? Do you have one? Off the top of my head? No. As far as like business goes, it'd be my dad. Yeah. That's a good answer. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you this. It's kind of a deep tease. I might, I might be at a, um, uh, on the verge of doing something, uh, you know, that would, that would be a change. And I won't, I don't say I won't, it is highly unlikely I will do it until I know that I have at least a pool of a certain number of people who would join me in the venture. Um, because I, I just, I, I, you, you live and you learn and, um, I can't do it all by myself. That's an obvious statement, but I've lived it trying to do it all by myself. Not all by myself. That's not fair, but doing a lot of it, doing essentially like three jobs myself. Um, and then my wife also being involved. And, and that just really led to a stressful time. I think the way that things worked out at 920 and the fact that we did not have kids allowed that to happen, which then allowed TMA to continue which then allowed us to be where we are six years later. So I'm grateful for that. I don't believe everything happens for a reason. I don't subscribe to that. I know it sounds good. Maybe it makes people feel better. And maybe everything does happen for a reason. I personally don't believe it, but who fucking knows? I just know that that happened to work out because if I did have at least one child, if not more in 2013, 920 would have never become CBS Sports 920. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have taken that chance. Um, so... Having lived that, I know that I need to have um, people on the team or know that people are interested in joining the team before I would do it again. And that's the way to lift the ceiling of the potential of of the business. So going back to the entrepreneurial element, I don't know 
Uh, I know I, I, I think um, some people would potentially think Dave Portnoy. Um, I respect that he grinded in 2004 or five when he started Barstool in a way that I did not because I had a full-time job and was making a decent living. It's not like I was a millionaire, but I was making a decent living. And that was his job. Part of me, in a way, wishes I didn't have that check coming in every two weeks because then I would have been crazy about building inside STL. Um, and who knows what that would have turned into. Um, but I can say this, you know, I would be, what is the question and why did I choose the question? I really don't know. I, the question for me, from, for what I do, or what we do, or what we try to do is how do you monetize the content you have? I can tell you that's what's on my mind. That's what's on my mind. Uh, I feel like with TMA and with these podcasts, and then you can expand it to uh, like the stuff Cam does, Cam, and he did it on X too, um, what Dan McLaughlin and I did in this past Cardinal offseason. There are all these things you can do now that just five years ago you could not do. And they're so easy to do relative to what they used to be that I can immediately video broadcast to, if, I, if, if, if enough people are watching, hundreds of thousands of people by setting up, by holding up my phone. I don't even need a tripod. I would put a tripod up. And to be able to do that all by myself. That is, that's, you know, right now it's commonplace, but five years ago, that was not commonplace. Uh, the podcast, which is like, like the joke now is everybody has a podcast. Well, 12 years ago, not 12 years ago, 2012, so seven years ago, when producer Joe came to me about this podcast idea, and then we wound up pitching it to, we pitched it to Kyle Loesch, to Keith, they were more from financial investment, Keith Kachuk, and then Joe Buck, which is how it led to me and Joe Buck doing a show for a week, which was the sickest guest list in the history of KFNS and can't imagine that'll ever be duplicated. But uh, that's, that's th at the time, few people were doing a podcast. And I remember like kind of our business model was reflecting or attempted business model was reflecting Adam Carolla and going, yeah, Adam Carolla's making a lot of money with this. This podcast thing could be big. So you spot it, but then you go, well, how do we monetize it? So that's the question I ask. That's not, you know, and I don't know. I don't know. I, my understanding, Pete, you're the one who said it. And to Pete's credit, you know, with all the, the, the great personalities we've had as producers for TMA um, and kind of signature people that are still talked about, obviously, producer Joe's texting in through the show, hazing Iggy all the time. Um, Pete, and this isn't a shot at anybody else because they weren't, they weren't given this charge, but Pete took the lead on a merchandise thing that I said, you can do it all you want. And I think it was like a $300 investment. I think that's what it was. And I'm like, dude, I've done the merchandise thing. It doesn't work. Um, you know, and Pete says to me as producer of TMA, but brought on more for the business element because producing TMA is essentially, Oh, it's seven Oh seven. Let me hit the switch. Uh, now you might not agree with that. Maybe Pete, you might not say that but there's a little more, to <laughs> but, and, but I said, I know your business background. That's why I'm intrigued with you as producer. What do you want to do? And you were big on the merch thing. And I'm like, oh, merch. And then it was like a $300, for real, that's it, $300. And that's turned now into, I don't even know. I mean, I guess it'd be irresponsible to even start publicly talking about the, the total revenue that's coming in off the shirts. But I know it's substantial in a major way. And like every month or every other month, there's one that winds up hitting and if I'm not mistaken, the reason I bring that up is because Barstool, a big part of their growth 
was merch. Yeah, that was the huge part. Yeah. It still is a big part. Yeah, oh my God. It's like, I feel like it's even bigger now, but I'm just aware of it more now. But the question, from my standpoint anyway, that anybody in our position needs to answer before they make any move with regard to expense on content is how do we monetize this expense? So you can't manage a radio station or content distribution platform, and therefore I'm now covering radio, podcasts, Facebook Lives, Periscopes, whatever it is that you YouTube, whatever, all of those things. You can't have that management responsibility conducted properly without answering that question. And if you don't have an answer to how will we might now you might not be able to do it, but you have a plan in place to do it. And if you can't do that, if you can't answer that question, then, then you cannot, you cannot, you cannot run it. You cannot run the offense like so often. I'm not, I'm not shitting on it at all, but people are like, wouldn't it be great if Iggy and Plowboy went out and did this and then did this. And I'm like, okay, well that's going to cost this for their time. And that's going to cost this to do this. And then, well, yeah, then you can sell sponsorships. And then it's always, yeah, but then you can sell sponsorships. I'm like, but I have to tell you, it's not that, that, yeah, that, that, yeah, but then you can sell sponsorships. It's like a throwaway line. Like, yes, of course. Well, you have to be able to sell the sponsorships. Otherwise, it's a loss. And so you've seen a lot of uh, media properties, whether it be locally or nationally, run into problems because they don't think of the second part of the equation, which is, okay, here's the expense. That sucks. How are we going to get this to not just break even? We're not, this isn't a fucking charity. How it's profitable, how, how you turn it into a profit. That's the question. And, and the answer always has to be, we have to deliver a return on investment for our clients. Otherwise, it's going to be a short-term sale. So what do we do that then delivers that return on investment? How do we monetize it? How of this amusing content of Iggy and the Plowboy, you know, hitting their ninth shots at Normandy, how do we turn that into actual dollars? The nice thing is now one of the toughest parts of the equation, which is the expense of getting that content, shit, Plowboy, hold up your phone. Good. We're good. We're recording. Perfect. All right, let's do it. That's what you can do now. Um, so with regard to Barstool, for example, um, you know, we're driving down to, uh, game six. So Ryan Kelly has a guy driving us. Ryan's in the front seat. Um, young page views is in the middle seat, uh, in the back seat of this. I don't know what it was. Escalate, I guess, uh, is Ryan Kelly's wife, my wife and me. And then in the middle seat is a photographer, a cameraman for Barstool who is shooting everything. And they're just shooting everything. And something amusing might come. If, if like we have a sudden stop and we all fall over the place, I assure you that's on Barstool. That's on social media. That, to me, that's, that's smart. That's what, I, that's what I would love to do with TMA. I would love, it's like we have this thing that isn't just limited to the six people on the show. I mean, there are some people who are celebrities, again, with a loose definition of celebrity, but celebrities, like when I'm out and I'm with Janie, the lesbian, for example, and I'm see somebody out and I go, Hey, Oh, by the way, this is my friend. This is Janie, the lesbian. Like, Oh my God, you're Janie, the lesbian. Like they just met Mick Jagger. You're Janie, the lesbian. So I recognize it, but again, it has to be monetized. So my charge for my consideration of what we might do is I got to make sure I have people who can sell it and who are always thinking of ways to sell it and who see these opportunities. 
because it's not just, okay, we're going to sell you 100 spots, 130s, it's going to cost this. If you want 60s, it'll cost this. We'll give you added value by a banner ad on our website. Let us know if you're interested. Okay, I'll take you to a Cardinal game. That's not the way the game is played. It might still be played that way, but that's not the game will be played in five years. Shorter than that. And so I see it, but unless I know I have people who can think that way with me, recognize that which we have and monetize it, then we have then we have something that I'm not interested in pursuing. So that's really the, the, the core issue. So it's a long way of answering. I, I recognize the Portnoy thing you say, I really like Portnoy. I don't really know Portnoy. I've never met the man. I'm only more familiar with him over the last few weeks because the like the blues played the Bruins and it became a whole barstool thing. Um, but I recognize that, especially with a, a monster capital infusion, but even before that he built something and the, crux of the matter for anybody who gets it on our side of this and it's and a lot of talent don't get it it's that's great oh you had so-and-so on the show that's great how do you monetize it how do you monetize it that's 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 it tell me about your wonderful idea and your great podcast how'd you monetize it it's all i care about and then for those who don't get it then i come off as the bad guy god we're doing all of this and they're not, how do you think we should monetize it? Which, nobody is just a host anymore. Nobody really is ever just a host, but now it's clear. Nobody is just a host anymore. Nobody is just a producer anymore. You know, we're all playing all positions. And so that's the thought process that I have. And that's certainly what I would ask. I'd love to hear people, you know, because people are going into this new frontier and what their experiences have been. Uh, that's what fascinates me. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a firsthand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy. I've got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James, James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton, uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which, of course, was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something, or I had forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of. So you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, Hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me and I go, oh, it's James Carlton here. Let me include him on the, on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like, I'm like, Oh yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, Oh God, I hope he does. Okay. The best the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. 
James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. Uh, let's see. Was this year's Blues team your favorite all-time St. Louis sports team? No, 85 Cardinals, nothing against the Blues. Just I think when you're 8, 9, 10 years old, so like if you were born in 2008, 9, or 10, the 2019 Blues will, all, will always be your favorite team. So I was born in 76. The 1985 Cardinals will always be my favorite team. I don't know how anything's going to pass that. Um, so it's not a shot at the 2019 Blues. It's just I think it's where you are in your life. Uh, let's see what else, what else? All right, I'll wrap it up here, even though I know there's a bunch more. Um, I remember listening to questions from the audience over the course of this playoff run and getting the feeling listening to you after the Winnipeg series that the Blues were actually going to do it. There's a lot of hockey left to play. Why were you so confident? What did this team have that gave you that confidence? I want to say almost all of it or most of it had to come from Bennington, also, now that the playoffs are over, what in the fuck is going on with the Cardinals? How do you assess this situation? The seat's got to be getting somewhat hot for Mo now, right? What's wrong with this team, buyers, sellers, etc.? I was going to answer the first one first, but now I'm going to answer the second one first because I liked the delivery of the writing. Um, candidly, I up until the last couple of nights, the fascinating Marlins games, uh, I have not really been watching the Cardinals. Um, just, I mean, how can you? And then, then, and anytime one of my favorite rites of spring, because it puts me in a good mood because I know it's going to be warm for a few months. And when, as much as I love college football, I'm kind of on edge. So I'm like, fuck, it's about to be cold and I can't stand it, uh, is to be watching a playoff hockey game. And it's just like, you're like snorting this incredible shit and you're just like on edge. And it's now, you know, the first period intermission. And then you flip over to the Cardinal game and it's like, you're just like crashing down. So, I mean, you can't go from one to the other, you know, you can't. So now I'm easing into the baseball season. And I think the rush of two months of Stanley Cup playoff hockey is going to make it very tough for me to invest emotionally in the Cardinals, especially with this product. Also, I think the game is at a point now where it's strikeout or home run. And I know it's kind of like a narrative, like a pardon my uh, take, pardon the interruption, skip Bayless type of thing that people say, but the stats actually back it up. And I really don't like that. I fuck just like three minutes ago. I said, what's my favorite team? The 85 Cardinals. They hit like no home runs. So I just don't, I don't know. I really, I really thought, and I'm not abandoning it right now. I mean, as we're sitting here, they're three and a half games out of first. I think the, I think the, the complaining about the team is a little overstated for where they are, especially considering the lesson we just got taught by the 2019 St. Louis Blues. Um, with that said, they're three and a half out because they're in a shitty division. Their team's in second place in other divisions that are 10 back in their division. Rockies, Dodgers would be an example in the NL West. So proper context as always, at least an attempt for it. Um, yeah, I think, I, th I thought Derek, well, here's recommended, my recommended viewing is Quest for the Stanley Cup on ESPN Plus, 100%. And my recommended reading would be Derek Gould, Sunday article on the Cardinals and their trades over the last few years. It's startling. Now, it's not anything that I was like, oh, my God, they didn't get anything back for Luke Voigt? What? They didn't get anything back for Tommy Pham? What are you talking about? You know, I'm aware of all of this. But, like, when it's laid out, ooh, it's rough. And that's the thing. 
I guess I'm I guess I'm going to perform some auto fellatio here. But I, I mean, if I'm right, then I mean, I'm, I'm right. Because if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I'm not going to run from either one. When people were complaining that the Cardinals wouldn't spend money, which I think died down with the Goldschmidt thing, but I guess it still goes on. I don't know. It's so odd to me, but there I am using the word odd again. Um, when the Cardinal, when people were complaining that the Cardinals had spending money, then it was Goldschmidt. I said, it's, I just don't believe that's the case. I said, what you should be keeping an eye on is their evaluation of the talent that they are either bringing in or that they are trading away or that they are saying is going to be the future and then comes up and doesn't do shit. And then they wind up trading away. That to me is where you have an issue. Now, if you want to like get people sticking around through your T's and hold Bill DeWitt accountable for not giving out shitty contracts, even though he's giving out some shitty contracts, then you can play that card. But the talent evaluation is the problem. Talent evaluation is real scary. Real scary. And that to me is the core issue. Um, it's not a lack of a willingness to spend money, but that's the thing that kind of gets a wing of the fan base going and you can play to that base, but that's not, that's not the issue. Um, but at the same time, I look where they are and look how they've performed. And what I would tell you is they're three and a half back and they're performing almost all of them below where their career numbers are. The thing though, that you need to keep in in perspective, or I need to keep in perspective, I'm the one answering the question, is that, you know, not all these guys are 23 years old. So, you know, there's some guys who are on the other side of 30, and it might not just come back just because that's where they have been in their careers. I'll tell you something that I'm stunned by is how bad, how bad, not how bad, how inconsistent, how there are holes in the rotation Spring training, I was doing that show with McLaughlin, and people were talking about adding another arm. I'm like, why in the hell would they add another arm? And now, look, it's like they should really add another arm. I think there's another arm there to add. If they truly are all in, as they said they were before the season, there is no reason for them not to start knocking on the door of take your pick of either on the East Coast, the batting practice wounded Max Scherzer, or on the West Coast, the guy who has owned them multiple times, Madison Bumgarner. No reason not to do that. The Brewers were aggressive in 2008 to get Sabathia earlier in the year uh, before the deadline. There's no reason why the Cardinals can't do that if they really are believers that this team can do it. I don't know if they'd believe that. I don't know what the hell they're doing with Jordan Hicks. It's an odd usage pattern. I also know many of you are like, yeah, I haven't really watched a game yet because I'm still like on the high from the Blues and the Stanley Cup. So, you know, it, we haven't dug into it, but I'm... I'm confused by it. regarding John Mazelak's seat being hot. I don't think that's the way that it would work. I'm not saying that it should or shouldn't be. I'm just telling you, I think somebody else goes before he goes. He's the president of baseball operations. Maybe they'd get rid of Mike Gersh, but I don't think Mazelak goes. I just don't. I mean, Bill DeWitt, it takes a lot for him to part ways, especially a guy who won him a World Series and has been part of the organization for 20 years. You might not like that, but that's what I think is the case. And then your, your first question, Tom, I remember listening to QFTA over the course of this playoff run and getting the feeling listening to you after Winnipeg that the Blues were actually going to win it, are going to do it. There's a lot of hockey left to play. Why so confident? What did this team have that gave you that confidence? I want to say almost all of it or most of it had to come from Bennington. Um, the, the, this is a terrible answer, but it is the truth um, because when it like happens in poker and somebody says that they get like, la like if it's a competent table, they get laughed out of there and everybody's like, well, I got to get up and pot with this guy now because I know he's an idiot. I just had a feeling, but I just had a feeling. That's the answer. Um, and it's weird. 
it gave me peace in in intense moments. Uh, one I can think of specifically was when they were down two nothing to Winnipeg in the third period of Game Five, and I remember thinking to myself, I know they're going to win the cup. So either they're going to win this game or they're going to win games six and seven and they're going to be fine because I know they're going to win the cup. It's a weird thing. I know it sounds super weird. I think I vocalized this, though, before they won the cup. So it's not like after the fact shit. Um, I just had the feeling. I remember sitting with young page views at Olive and Oak with me, him and Anna Marie, like midnight, uh, the night after they lost game five to the stars and are down three, two. And it's going, yeah, I think they're going to win. He's like, dude, I think so, too. I think they're going to, but I just win tomorrow. I think they're going to win the cup. And so that's why I was in a weird spot last Wednesday, the day of game seven, which I'm glad we did that uh, recording, Pete, you know, beforehand. Yep. We'll always have that. And said, I think they're going to win tonight. And apparently it gave a lot of people peace, which was not my intent. <laughs> I come in here and I just fucking talk. Uh, so if it winds up having a positive in- impact, that's great. I don't come in here and go, you know what? I want to make people feel better. Because a lot of shit I say, I'm sure, probably makes people feel worse. But I want to, what I want to do is be honest. That's what I want to be. Um, and I just really thought they were going to win. And I had a bad feeling about Game 6, which sucks because I spent money on those tickets. And I didn't spend the money on the Game 7, seven tickets and going up to Boston, which I was never close to doing. But um, I just had a feeling. And so I was in a weird spot because I thought they were going to win. And I didn't want to bet Boston because I'm like, God, it, it's going to be, it's going to cost a lot of money for it to like, be like, oh, that's okay. The Blues lost because I just won this much. Because then if the Blues did win and then I lost that much, that would be like, fuck, the Blues won the cup. But holy shit, I just lost this much money. So it was just kind of like emotionally vulnerable. But that was the, that's the truth. I don't know if the confidence came from a feeling from some sixth sense or just watching Jordan Bennington play and really being like, yeah, he just doesn't let in the soft goals that we're so used to seeing goaltenders for the St. Louis Blues give up. I don't know, but I just know that's 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 where I was. Um, and that's that's why I felt that way. Also, in fairness, I mean, the Blues were the best team in the NHL from January 3rd on. So this wasn't like some eight seed that had been kind of fumble-fucking its way into the, the playoffs. I mean, this was the best team in the league for four months going into it. Um, but yeah, it just felt different. And it's interesting, you know, you'll hear this coming up with the Cam Jansen and Reed Lowe thing. In 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, there was this, uh, and I don't know, I guess the Red Wings, the Red Wings won at 98. I don't know, I can't rattle off Stanley Cup winners like I can with baseball winners. Uh, but there was this sense around the NHL that it was either the Devils, the Avalanche, the Red Wings, or the Stars who were going to win the Stanley Cup, and then there was everybody else. Uh, but even in 2016, I think Reed says this, you didn't really, really feel like it was going to happen. Even though you used to go, oh my God, they're currently, they were. They were the favorites over the Penguins to win the Stanley Cup when it was down to the Final Four. And it still seemed foreign, kind of like Missouri might win the SEC championship in college football. Like this thing is just, the two don't equate, you know? Like they're not the same thing. Like Missouri in the SEC championship, it's not possible. Missouri in the national championship, it's not possible. That's why it was so weird Missouri became number one after beating Kansas in 2007. But then it became real, and it's just like, yeah, they're going to win the cup. I had a, I guess I shouldn't say friend. I've gotten to know him here. He has a business, and I uh, wound up uh, utilizing his services. And I don't know how what the tie-in was, and I think his friend was involved with a team in the NHL. And, and, and this was before the playoffs even started up, when this guy was working with me on something. And he goes, my buddy called me, and he goes, I got to tell you something. Get, and it's not like he was a St. Louisan. He just worked in the NHL. He goes, you better get ready for it, because the cup's coming to St. Louis this year. 
this is before the playoffs started. This was like the first week or two of April. And he's like, like, I loved hearing it, but it like scared the fuck out of me to hear it because we just don't haven't thought that way. Like, it, like you never even, even when they, I mean, you know, they were, they were leading the Sharks in game five of the Stanley Cup Western Conference final in 2016. That wasn't long ago. And yet it kind of became like they're going to the Stanley Cup final. And now they're, now they've won a game in the Stanley Cup final in overtime, game two. And now they've even the series and now it's going to game five. And now they're up three to two and it still didn't feel like it. And this time last week we were sitting here going, oh my God, they might come this close. And then have to start at the very beginning. It's the worst thing. Yes, they would have gotten there, but oh my God, to get back, we might never see it. And so many people who might be of a certain age going, I'm never going to see it. And that scared people, whether it be the people of a certain age, but probably even more so their kids, their grandkids. That's what I think. That's who I think was more scared. The other people like, I don't fucking know. I'm just happy I can get out of bed. But that's what I think was going on. And, and so to get it, oh, it really, it's the greatest damn thing. I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough. It's like, I just want more and more coverage. It's like part of me is like, yeah, I'd love to give you the Cam Jansen Read Low podcast right now. But by the time you get it in four days, you're going to be, you're, it's not like you're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember 10 days ago, the Blues won the Stanley Cup. I guess I'll listen to it. You'll be into it. Trust me. And even if you're not, the, when these two start screaming, you'll be like, holy shit. <laughs> So anyway, there it is. Questions from the audience. An hour and 24 minutes of broadcast excellence here on the podcast. Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com. Sponsor of the studios. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Design Air Heating and Cooling Online at DesignAirService.com. The number one train dealer in the West. And Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth. Online at Landoff.com. For Gangster Pete, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now, more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses. So don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free 5-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com.